Hello and welcome to Destination Draft Day. I am Michael Rockman, joined by Nick Durst and Brian Salsa. College football championship here today. The last college football game of the season here at Destination Draft Day. That's kind of the start of when the whole grind of the NFL draft process really happens. But it is bittersweet watching what will be the last game for quite some time in college football, Alabama, Ohio State. But first... We got a lot to talk about. Nick, Brian, how are you guys doing today? Doing good. Uh, Brian, happy to see you, of course, and end off the college football season. We'll get your your picks later on. Had a pretty good weekend. Uh, we gave our picks and uh, things played out for the most part how we thought they would, uh, minus the Browns, and we'll get into that. But we got to start with the Eagles. They had enough. Doug Peterson, he's he's gone. He fired. No more him. Uh, so now, obviously, I'm going to talk about where do, where do the Eagles go from here. Uh, I think the benching of Jalen Hurts has a major impact in the firing here. But on the flip side, we got to talk. I'm going to go to Brian here first, as always. It's looking like Doug Peterson may, in fact, be the Jets' next head coach, or at least get an interview. How are you feeling about that? Of course, he and Joe Douglas – work together in Philadelphia. Yeah, I mean, well, he's definitely going to get an interview. And depending on which site you look at, I know that FanDuel Sportsbook already has Doug Peterson as the favorite to be the next Jets head coach. Um, You know, I would say that that dynamic is really important, obviously, between the GM and the head coach uh, all the time. But maybe especially in this case with Peterson, because it's going around social media that one of the things Peterson didn't like is quote unquote being told what to do, which is apparently what a general manager, which is what a general manager gets to do to a head coach. Bill O'Brien syndrome. Yeah. So, um, you know, and I'm sure that a team isn't going to let Doug Peterson coach and be the GM. So he may as well go find a job with the GM in place being somebody he has a relationship with. So, Perhaps the Jets would be a better spot for him uh, than some other places. I'm not saying that I'm clamoring for it. I'm certainly not. But let's let him get an interview and let the chips fall where they may. Big time retread, Brian. And there's never been a Super Bowl winning coach to leave their team and go to another team and win a Super Bowl. So I think it's a little risky there. But, Michael, what do you think about the situation in Philadelphia? Yeah, it's one of those situations that seem to be brewing. Even though there were – a lot of speculators that said, oh, this is just kind of an agreed upon thing between the front office and head coach. Even if it was, it was just one of those situations where it seemed like he really lost a lot of the team over the course of the season, whether it was the Carson Wentz and his close friends on the team or then benching Jalen Hurts and all those that were big believers in him and all the people that had to deal with that locker room drama in it. I mean, I know for myself, I kind of viewed that and said the Eagles are not going to be good next year with Doug Peterson as head coach because there's just too much going on. Even if they have like a, a better roster coming in next year, I doubt that there's going to be enough cohesive like strength in this team for them to really have a successful season. So the move isn't as surprising as it kind of sounds on paper where it's the Super Bowl champion that kind of had – one down year that really stuck out, and then everything else has been pretty solid for the most part. Uh, he really kind of didn't put together his best performance. Now, like you guys kind of said, he, he seems to be the favorite for the Jets' job. I assume he will get it. And I don't think it's a bad retread type of deal where we have this Super Bowl coach that's shown a lot of promise in the past. Uh, it's just going to kind of depend on how they go about building that roster and how he does in terms of his relationship with uh, Joe Douglas. Yeah, so obviously both of his quarterback options for 2021 with the Eagles both hate him. They both don't like him. So Hurts Hurts and went then enough. So my guess is a bunch of players went to the owner and were like, hey, this is not going to work out. Because why else did it take a whole another week to can the guy? And you got to worry about Doug Peterson with – either a Justin Fields or a Wilson or even Sam Donald. Uh, I just – I don't know. I don't, it doesn't seem like he's uh, – he pulled your relationship. So, like, Brian's point, you know, he wants – he was sick of being told what to do. So, he wants he wants to be Bill Belichick. 
uh, just like Doug o Bill O'Brien, doesn't work out. And as we know, Michael, the Eagles Super Bowl win was an absolute fluke. Okay, so they had no business beating the Patriots there. Just whoever had the ball last was going to win. Uh, and of course, Brady didn't have the ball last, so they lost. But they were 500 yards. And then over the weekend, we got some big games. Uh, I'll go in order, but of course, Big Ben, he threw for 500 yards, four touchdowns, also four interceptions, and set the NFL completion record for most completions in the game, which was wild. But we'll start by looking back at the Colts-Bills game. And Josh Allen does what Josh Allen does, and that is dominate the game on offense. Colts could not stop him. But the Bills really couldn't stop the Colts either, so... Good luck to them, yeah, you know, with the, with the Ravens because that's going to be real tough. Take the over in that game, Brian. But uh, Michael, you think this is the end of Phil Rivers? I know Frank Reich said one. He wants to have him back, and he looked good. Uh, he had a pretty solid season. You know, they win eleven games around the playoffs. Uh, obviously, the main story is the Bills still like they're primed to go to the Super Bowl here. But on the the Colts side of things, I don't think they're too far off still. Yeah, I think the Colts have a interesting situation where they have a really nice roster in place, but they also have a lot of money to work with. So while Philip Rivers could easily come back, if he were to, you know, retire and leave, the Colts could feasibly go and get another guy that would be perfect for the situation, whether that's trading for a guy like Wentz or going and getting another QB that probably doesn't fit the system as well. Obviously I don't think the Texans would be willing to trade in division, but there are a lot of options out there. I think Rivers is a fine game manager, but at the same time, I think if you can find a QB that you believe to be young, but also the future of your franchise, it's probably worth pursuing right now while you have the money with such a good roster in place. Yeah, definitely interesting to see what they do there. Uh, Brian, what are your thoughts on this game? Obviously, the Colts... They end up covering here. Uh, Bills cannot come with the six and a half point victory, uh, but really it was a good game back and forth. You almost were thinking, "Oh my gosh, the Bills are going to get screwed again here with the the fumble, non-fumble call." But uh, at the end of the day, you know, Josh Allen was unstoppable, and the Bills score more points. That's the end of the game. Yeah, I mean, I think it went uh, how a lot of people thought it would for the most part. Um, you know. 80% of people did have the Bills covering, myself included. So that part didn't work out. But they did go up by two touchdowns, you know, in the fourth quarter. And that's when it looked like they would break away a little bit. But credit to Phillip Rivers because they came back down the field and scored. And then obviously they had a, you know, they had a chance again at the end of the game. Obviously that was a complete fumble. If they would have managed to extend that game and go to overtime, that would have been a bit of a travesty. I guess it ended how it should have. Uh, I do think that the Bills should be on notice, though, next week because you are dealing with a little bit of a different animal if the Ravens are are on top of things. Yeah, and if the Ravens just run over the Bills, at, wow, Lamar Jackson, what a run, that touchdown run, almost as good as uh, Heineke's run. But um, then I, I think the Ravens have a legit chance to go to the Super Bowl if they continue playing like they're playing. So let's, let's move on, though, to the, the second game from Saturday. And that would be the Rams at the Seahawks. I told you guys, Rams plus three. And, wow, Jared Goff had his Kirk Cousins moment. You like that? Because everyone doubts the guy. I don't care what you say about him. He has gone to the Super Bowl. And now he comes in with a broken freaking thumb. And, the, and, you know, does what he has to do. Seahawks looked abysmal. Uh, Michael, what are your thoughts on this game? Yeah, it was one of those games where you just kind of expected Russell Wilson to really start getting going, and it never happened. On the other side of things, the Rams looked very in control. This defense is very strong. The offense did what it needed to do. Ultimately, the talent on this roster was really always one of the better places in the league. But there were questions about some of the areas like offensive line and questions like the linebacker unit, but both did very well in the playoff game. So if this momentum continues, the Rams are just as much of a Super Bowl contender as anyone else, and I don't think that's crazy at all to say. 
Brian, uh, any surprise by you with the outcome here of this one? I know it was kind of a little bit of a pick em, but, uh, you know, Goff coming off the bench and gets the you job. Know, I think, yeah. I think the surprise mostly comes on the Seattle side because their offense had been a little bit inconsistent in the second half of the year, but I did expect some more out of them. Uh, but the thing is that, look, no disrespect to Jared Goff. He made a couple of plays that were nice, but nine for 19, 150 yards. Their defense won them this game. They performance. I mean, you know, if, you, if they're putting in the punter at the quarterback position. I mean, they but were now you're comparing a quarterback who, as you mentioned, has been to the Super Bowl to to a punter. That's no, not the you're, same. You're thing. saying that you're saying Goff had no impact in that game. He made the plays he had to make. He had to make. He made two. I'd say they were one 45 yard throw down the field, and then one dump off that turns into a 40 yard play, and that was 95 of the 155 yards. So yes, no, I don't think he had a very big impact on the game at all. He didn't make any big. I so think there's no chance Especially with a pick six to put them up 13 to three, their defense was the main catalyst to them winning that game. Obviously, the defense was great. Defense was great. Said it was going to be impacted. Echo here, but uh, Donald was great. He got hurt with his leg injury. But I just think, without Goff, I don't see how they're winning that game. Someone's got an echo, bro. <laughs> Uh, but, yeah, I don't think it's a bad thing that the Rams unit was as reliant on its defense as it is. That's always been well known that this defense is one of their strong suits. Cam Akers really came into his own and put together a masterful performance. Goff obviously has to get healthy for them to reach that next level. But the fact that they were able to put away a team that is as good as the Seahawks with as limited passing production as they had is a strong sign. And now it's about healing up Goff's hand trying to get him back to full strength before this next game because they have a big one coming up against the Packers. Yeah, I think most people are probably going to say they have no shot against the Packers. But, again, it will depend on the health. But my whole thing is, you know, if Tom Coughlin, who won two of the most probable Super Bowls of all time and has been to championship games at the Jaguars, if he can get fired – why can't Pete Carroll? I've seen enough of Pete Carroll the last four and a half, five years to know that he's not the guy that's going to get Russell Wilson another championship. He keeps blowing it. They blew the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, the only reason this team is even in the playoffs year after year to me is because of Russell Wilson. So I know he got his big extension this year, Pete Carroll, but if the Seahawks really want to, you know, capitalize on having Russell Wilson as quarterback and get another championship here. I think they need to move off from Pete Carroll at some point, Brian. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, that's not a name that anybody is really thinking of as someone who's going to get fired because of the big extension. And this is one of those rare teams where I actually think that the best player on the team would act, would have would actually get a say in whether or not the coach was there any longer because Russell Wilson is who he is. He has the stature that he is. He has a great relationship with Pete Carroll. If it gets to the point where Russell Wilson gets sick of Pete Carroll, well, there's a lot better chance of him being out the door, I guess. Yeah, no doubt about it. Now, Saturday Night Football, the Bucks versus the Washington football team. As we told you, me and Brian, Washington was going to cover in this one. No doubt about it. Michael had the Bucks for the blowout win, but not so fast, Michael, because the Washington football team has an incredible quarterback performance. So if I'm a Bucks fan, I can't be – you know, too like uh, confident moving forward here because the the, the games are just going to get harder and harder here versus against these elite offenses with the the Saints and then the Packers. They would hope so. I don't know. I mean, you, you, on paper, you think the Bucks should be a legit Super Bowl contender. I know you think they are. You have them going there, but after what you saw Saturday night, you're still buying that. I still buy it to some degree. I think. Uh... Looking at what Brady was able to do against a strong defensive line like Washington is a good sign for him. Uh, Chris Godwin arguably put together what was his worst game of his career and had a great game. So, I mean, like 71 yards, 78 yards, I can't remember which one it was exactly, but still not bad. So what has been a phenomenal stretch for him of dependent play now kind of a uh, Fell off for one game, but I expect him to bounce back strong next game. 
this receiving core is going to be tough to cover. So as long as the Bucs can give the needed protection for Brady, I think they will be able to produce offensively. The issue that I mostly had was just the defensive side of things. And I think that kind of comes with the NFL unfamiliarity aspect of things with Taylor Heineke being someone that was unknown that kind of gave the Washington football team's offense a little bit of an advantage in terms of, you know, these guys haven't seen Heineke. So they get to play to really whatever they want to, and the Bucks don't have anything to base it off of. So without having that reference, it's not entirely surprising that Heineke had a solid game. Uh, you know, there's plenty of guys that come in in their first game and just do awful. So still hats off to him entirely. But I think Bucks should be able to do a little bit better defensively when they get to go against an offense that they at least have a lot of film on and get to really game plan for fully. Brian, you buying or selling Buccaneers as a legit Super Bowl contender? Well, I'm selling it only because not really of anything – with the Buccaneers, just the way that the bracket is played out, the Bucks have to go win in the Superdome and then, you know, more likely than not have to go win at Lambeau. And that's just a – that's quite a gauntlet, a two-week stretch. Uh, we did see the Saints beat them twice already this year. I do expect it to be much, much closer than that 38-3 game that we saw in November, uh, obviously. Saints are actually well, – I'm sure we'll get to this at a different point in the week. The Saints are – uh, three-point favorites as of now. It's hard to beat a team three times in the same season, but we're going to get to the Saints game, and they look awfully good. All right, next game up, Ravens and Titans. We talked about it a little bit a few minutes ago, but the Ravens looked great in this one. Uh, and the Titans' offense just really didn't get it done, and I think it's just goes to show you, like, it's either Derrick Henry or Buss for the most part with the Titans sometimes. Uh, but – Kudos to the Ravens. They get it done on the legs of Lamar Jackson with an absolutely incredible touchdown run. Michael, what's your takeaway from this game? I think the biggest takeaway is that this Ravens team can really go as far as this offense is able to take it. This defense is absolutely phenomenal, so they're always going to be up to the test and give them a really great chance to be in any game. It's up to Lamar Jackson and this offense to really take advantage of that. And if Lamar comes out strong and has now gotten over his, you know, Lamar can't win a playoff thing, if he can come into this next game and start winning games and start putting up great performances, the Ravens are very much contender and they can compete with anyone. And that's both in the AFC and in the NFC. Lamar Jackson, definitely one of the young, talented QBs of this league. But I think his improvements that uh, we've seen over the season, even with the maybe struggling offense at times, what what he's done to close out the season was huge. And now it's on him to really uh, elevate his play for playoffs and get the Baltimore Ravens to the Super Bowl if he can. Brian, I was, I was looking forward to seeing the Ravens taking on the Chiefs, which we never got to see last year. But we'll have to wait on that one. So what do you think here for the Ravens' chances to move forward? And what did you think about that game? What does it say about the Titans? Oh, yeah. Well, the Titans, I mean, I went into it thinking that they were fraudulent because of their defense, but their defense was actually didn't play all that bad. So uh, credit to them as well. It was obviously a much lower scoring game than people anticipated. But I mean, the Ravens defense completely bottling up Derrick Henry was, you know, the most impressive part of the game. It was getting into the danger zone there when it was 10 nothing. If you give up another score, you get into that position where the Ravens are severely handicapped if they have to throw the ball constantly and can't keep that run game alive with both Lamar and JK Dobbins then they're in trouble but like Michael was saying about their defense I mean they come ready to play and they can keep stay in any game and it keeps the as long as the running game as long as they have a chance to lead with the running game and kind of not force Lamar to throw in every down they're in pretty good shape so uh, I know that the, the Bills are probably going to be the popular pick again, and I get it. They're really good. That offense is really good, but the Ravens' defense might be getting hot at the right time. Yeah, definitely no doubt about that. Now, we got to talk about the last two games here, and we have to also talk about what the future holds for these teams. So first, the Saints, they pick up the victory against the Bears. We almost had a crazy backdoor cover, Brian, in that one. Uh, 
with, with everything going on there. Now, people are saying Trubisky's done. He sucks. Um, we could also have to point out in the first quarter where he threw an absolutely perfect touchdown pass that was dropped. Uh, so let's, you know, we're going to give and take. Yeah, you got to put it both ways. So, Michael, what do you see happening here with the Bears? Maybe Nagy gets fired. That could be another opening, potentially. Probably a bit of an appealing one in the sense that the defense is certainly lock solid with Khalil Mack. And I don't think they should bring back Dick Foles, at least not as a starter. So where do you see the Bears going here? Obviously, they already declined Jabriskie's option before the season. Yeah, I think the Bears will probably move on from Trubisky first and foremost. I think Trubisky will now have a chance to kind of find somewhere else, probably get a chance to really battle for a starting job, honestly. But I think the Bears will move on. I think the Bears will let Foles walk as well. And when it comes to Nagy, I think they're going to let him get one more chance just because, you know, it was clear that he wasn't, wanting Trubisky to be a starter for most of the season. And it was clear that when Foles came in, this offense just wasn't the same. I would understand entirely if they fired Nagy, but I think he's had enough success to where they can say, okay, we're going to let you choose to get one guy this offseason, whether it's you want to go with a rookie, whether you want to go with a one-year fill-in type of person, or whether you want to try to make a small trade, you and Pace are tied together for this. So you have to really decide on who you want as your guy. And if it doesn't work out, then you're gone. So, you know, I could see it playing out both ways, but I think Nagy has had enough success to where there would be a reason for the Bears to bring him back and really give him one last shot where he has his own guy and he gets to choose who is all his marbles are going to be on. I just don't know who's going. They're not in a great spot to draft the quarterback for the most part, you don't know who's going to be a free agent because they need a guy where you could come in and just win now. Like Brian, they would need someone like Matt Ryan. If the Falcons decide to draft the quarterback, that's the type of guy they got to get. And obviously the lines aren't going to let St- uh, Stafford go there. So who's really, you know, out there to get me if the Colts move on uh, from rivers, maybe they get rivers, but where do you see this whole thing playing out here? with the Bears quarterback situation? It seems like, you know, one domino has to fall before the rest of them can. We have to find out whether Ryan Pace is going to stay as GM, and then we're going to have to find out whether the coach is going to stay, and then from there we're going to have to find out uh, about the quarterback. Um, obviously, Trubisky's going to be gone most likely. I do think he get a ch- gets a chance to play somewhere else when they finally, um, when they finally let – revolve the offense a little bit more around what he actually does well. They had some success over the past month or so, but it's like Michael said, I mean, Nagy obviously didn't want to go with as his quarterback, but what happens when you hire a guy like Nagy to come in and fix your offense? And, you know, this is sort of how things peter out a little bit. So, you know, from an outside perspective, I can see them holding on to him. I think from a Chicago bears fan perspective, uh, light the whole thing on fire and start over. And that may include firing the GM also, bringing in another coach, bringing in another quarterback, and also getting more weapons for the offense as well. You know, Trubisky had one wide receiver. He throws a perfect ball that gets dropped. He has another wide receiver out with an injury in Mooney. Then he gets another wide receiver kicked out of the game during the game. And so um, it was just a, it was a, it was a nightmare all around. If, if Mims catches that, that touchdown early in the game, who knows, you know, and they were still down four points at halftime. Their defense played really well without Roquan Smith. So it's not a complete rebuild of the whole team, but on the offensive side, I could see just a complete clear out. I know it's crazy. We're a, a made field goal away two years ago from nobody even questioning Mitch Trubisky. Cause if the bears win that playoff game, but Cody Park, he misses the kick. Things are a lot different. Most likely I think Trubisky, to me, if I'm a GM and I'm in a situation where, you know, I need a top quality uh, backup quarterback or, you know, I got a veteran, you know, let's just say Philip Rivers. I know he's not going to be here much longer. And I got, and you know, Trubisky's not going to get a lot of money. So he's somebody that I want to come in 
in, when I'm in a position where I can either, you know, have him battle for a job or, you know, give him a two-year deal and see what happens. You saw it with Marcus Mariota uh, going to the Raiders. Uh, I think it's just an intriguing option. Brian, I love that you brought up, like, the offense, like, not really being built around Trubisky's strengths. Why do you think Harbaugh is such a great coach with the Ravens? He had Joe Flacco, who was Super Bowl MVP. They bring he dressed Jackson in the middle of the season. They totally rechanged the offense to go to Jackson's strengths. Jackson wins MVP. So, Michael, we've said it before on the show, and I got to say it again: the way to win the NFL is you build around your roster strengths. You don't try to fit your roster into your game plan. Exactly, and it's one of the most difficult things for a lot of coaches to really get it through their head is you aren't what's going to cause success based on what you want to run. If you, if you are a coach who can recognize your team's strengths, then yeah, you'll probably cause a lot of success, but you aren't going to really force someone to be a four, three defensive end when they're way better in a stand-up role and needing some space off the line, or you aren't going to make this offense really flow. If you're forcing someone who's, quick read, maybe move around in the pocket if you're forcing them to stand right there, be a statue, and throw the ball deep. So it's really important that coaches elevate their game. They revolutionize their offense. They change up based on what the trends are. They keep their game current, and they also play to their roster strengths. And it didn't really happen in Chicago. And I understand that Trubisky probably isn't one of the league's elite, but at the same time, there were very clear moments where he seemed to work out and they just didn't really lean on that as much as they should have. And I think Trubisky is probably going to have a career path that is similar to someone like Alex Smith, where we we kind of looked at this guy at San Francisco and we viewed him as a bust. And then in those final seasons, he kind of got with this good coach and we're like, Oh wow. He's pretty mobile. Actually. He has some pretty nice decision-making he can keep the ball out of the defense's hands. Trubisky has a little bit more of a turnover issue, not as accurate a passer, obviously. But I think we kind of send him off somewhere, and we're going to see this guy really kind of depended on for his ability in the short game, his solid arm where he can kind of scramble out of the pocket and make plays, and also just depending on his mobility for what is a very nice frame to be able to run and create plays with his legs. Yeah, and it's funny you brought up Alex Smith because I was going to say, I could see Washington signing Trubisky go into next season with him and Alex Smith and just, you know, give Smith the starting job because where they're drafting, again, they're not going to be able to get their franchise quarterback here. I don't, I don't believe so. Unless maybe you, you want to, you know, there's smoke, maybe there's, there's fire or there's rumors of Cam Newton coming in. But you know what? That doesn't make sense to me because he could have had Cam Newton this year around there. So I don't see why he would want to bring him in. But I think Trubisky, uh, he's going to have a lot of suitors in the sense of these teams that can go either way with their quarterback. And it's very important to have a quality starting quarterback as your backup if, if possible. I know it didn't work out for the Cowboys, but Andy Dalton stepped in and he did a Good enough job there to get the team some wins. Um, so, again, it's very important. Long gone are the days where we saw Hoyer start for the Texans, Landry Jones in for the Steelers in the playoffs, and that was just an absolute disaster. But it kind of sucks because, you know, you saw the instance where Kyla Murray got hurt, and then, you know, that was the end because I think most of us wanted to see the Cardinals in that game in the playoffs against the Saints. would have been a lot more fun. Uh, unfortunate to say. Moving on now, we got the Sunday Night Football game, the Browns and the Steelers. Congratulations to the Browns. About their head coach, Kevin Stefanski, they win the game. They go on to the next round. And this was a wild game because even when the the Steelers were, were down, uh, like 28-0, I was like, you know what? I feel like they're still going to come back. And they made that wild run, um, and they got it within 12. Um, and you know what, Brian, I think a lot of people were going to question, question Mike Tomlin for punting there down 12, but at that point in the game, the whole fourth quarter was left. And I think Tomlin probably felt like his offense had the momentum and obviously it didn't work out because the, the Browns score an exposition that sealed the game. But 
You know, what did you think of the middle of that game there, specifically the third quarter where it looked like the Steelers were actually going to pull it off? Yeah, well, you can look at that two ways, right? They did have all the momentum. You're right, Nick, but that's the exact reason why you got to go get a yard on fourth down, you know, so it can go both ways. And, you know, you had seen, even though Cleveland had a defensive touchdown and we're getting great field position off of interceptions, their offense was kind of carving that Steelers defense up a, a bit more than maybe most of us expected, uh, myself included. So I don't think that only needing one yard there I'm giving the ball back, guy. And, and when you look at it, it took it took the Browns, I think, two or three plays to get back to the same exact point where you would have given them the ball if you went for it on fourth down and didn't get it. So, you know, really no resistance from the Steelers' defense there. If you were playing a lockdown defensive game, uh, I can see it with a whole quarter left especially. But I just think in that spot you have to try to ride, ride your offense because it was pretty hot. Yeah, what do you think, Michael, at that point in the game there? Yeah, looking at this game, you you have to go for it because right now your team is just trying to come back in any way they can. Really, though, hats off to the Browns' offense. I think a lot of us expected this game to kind of be a slugfest in a lot of ways. Uh, I talked about it on the show, and I said, if the run game gets going, you know, the Browns could do something, but – the Steelers defense is way too good for me to believe that the Browns game will, the Browns run game will get going. And yet they look phenomenal. Kareem Hunt was just incredible for this game. So really the Browns have such a full roster on the offensive side of things to where you really kind of believe that they can go into any game and win. But this game, especially where, you know, the Steelers, really played them close in that last game with Mason Rudolph in, and they beat them earlier in the season. You're kind of thinking to yourself, okay, the Steelers probably, you know, despite all their skids of losses and all their struggles, they're probably going to come in and control this game. And we're going to see this Steelers team that really we've seen at the beginning of the season that we were talking about potentially going undefeated. So to have a big win like this to the Browns where we know this franchise's history. We know the division dynamic, and we know that they were going through so much, especially with Stefanski not even able to be there. This is a huge win for Cleveland, and I think Browns fans should really enjoy it. And even if you know next week they go and they lose, I think this was still a phenomenal start for what should hopefully be a nice era where they now have a QB that should be sticking around and a head coach that should be sticking around, which – you know, they may not feel used to yet. Right. Brian, to the Steelers side of things, I'm pretty sure Ben will be back next year. He's got another year under his contract. Came out today saying, well, I'm going to pray on it, but I have another year left on my contract. And if the Steelers want me back, I'll be back. And why wouldn't they want him back? Because quite honestly, it'll be a downgrade whoever they have as their quarterback next year. But what can the Steelers do here to finally get over the hump once again? Yeah, obviously the Steelers have a really good defense. Yesterday, not included, they they really do. Uh, so again, it's not like they need to rebuild anything. They need to retool a couple of things, and that's really the thing about it. Uh, if Ben, if Ben, you know, if there was any bit of doubt for the Browns, you know, the Steelers really gave them all the confidence that they needed in the early part of that game. You know, the snap for the touchdown to begin with. And, you know, the Steelers immediately got back to midfield when Ben throws just an inexcusable screen pass, like seven feet over Benny Snell's head. And uh, it just kind of snowballed from there. But in terms of Ben, you know, this is going to come off as a little bit of a hot take. But if Ben, for whatever reason, didn't come back next year, the guy we were just talking about, Mitch Trubisky, would actually not be the worst fit for the Steelers. It's the kind of team that's a strong defense, uh, talented offensive players. You need a guy who's going to be able to manage the game a little bit. The Steelers kind of dink and dunk with Ben at this stage anyway. He obviously can't move. So maybe they wouldn't do that to him with a year left if he wanted to come back and they wouldn't, they wouldn't, tell him that they weren't they weren't interested in bringing him back. Maybe that wouldn't they wouldn't do that to Ben, but I do think it's time to move on. I, I know how much he's given that organization, so I doubt that it would happen, but I, I do think it's time to move on from Ben. Michael, next year, Drew Brees, Ben Roethlisberger, Philip Rivers. Which guy is in the league and which guys have retired? I think we could 
very easily see Big Ben in the league. But the issue for the Steelers is more so about how they set up their roster because so much money is tied into Big Ben, and they have so many guys that are now hitting the market that they need to pay, whether you're talking about Juju or other guys on this team like Mike Hilton, who's been a phenomenal corner for this team. There's just so many guys that you have to pay, and there's not a lot of money to go around. So the idea is kind of they kind of you know tell Big Ben, look, we love you, but we need you to go because we need to pay these stars that we now are not trying to lose. Looking at it, though, you know, Breeze does seem like this would be his last year. Rivers has kind of openly addressed it, whereas Big Ben kind of says, I want to come back. So whether that's on the Steelers or somewhere else, I do think that Big Ben has the best odds of returning. Um, Looking at it, though, if the Steelers are looking at new QBs, I think I would like to see Jameis Winston get a chance with this roster. I understand he's definitely got some turnover issues. Maybe uh, this last game is going to make them a little more sour on guys with turnover issues, but I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, explosiveness that you bring in with Winston to this offense. And if you can, you know, go and get a solid running back in this draft and you kind of try to clean up this offense, I think Winston could be a very nice option that probably won't cost too much to bring in. I think with Breeze, uh, let's remember before last season, he signed or this season, he signed at a two year deal with NBC sports. He was due the analyst work for uh, Football Night in America and Notre Dame Football, and the plan is ultimately to pair him and Mike Tirico on Sunday nights. But if they win the Super Bowl, I think he's going to retire. If they don't, if they come close, I think there's a good chance we get Drew Brees back for at least one more year. And the main reason for that is because the Saints really need him. I don't know what they would do. Uh, they're not. We know they're not going to go Jameis Winston. We saw Winston didn't even get to start uh, when Brees went out. They went with Hill, so... We'll see what happens there. But, Brian, there is a football game tonight, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of betting action on. Yeah, I mean, it's it's basically the Super Bowl of college football. Not basically. That's exactly what it is. And there's usually not so many betting markets at college football games as compared to NFL games. But for this one, you can bet that there's, you know, a ton of them, uh, not just the spread, and then, but a lot of props and fun things like that. So it's, it's going to be awesome. In this game, Alabama versus Ohio State playing in Miami. Alabama, the number one team, really coming in with no momentum loss. They have been dominant all season. Ohio State coming in on a huge victory against Clemson. Justin Fields really proving himself with a huge performance. There are some stars in this game, and in this game, there are going to be a lot of draft prospects to check out. Brian, if there's kind of one player that you're – counting on to really get your full opinion on in this game. Who is it and what do you want to see from them to really be sold on their ability? Well, I think it's Justin Fields and it's not, and it's, you know, not just me because I'm not, not just from a, from a Jets fan perspective, although that is part of it. I just think that um, people's minds aren't quite made up on him. We saw what he did last game. He was absolutely lights out. In the game before that, he was a little bit banged up, and Northwestern really gave a shorthanded Ohio State offense a tough time. I think that people are going to look at this challenge against Alabama as a little bit of a of a tiebreaker. He's going to have his full complement of weapons. So is Alabama. It really is just um, a sort of matchup. And if Justin Fields puts together an incredibly good game tonight, I do think that he is going to be, you know, one of the top five and maybe top two picks in the NFL draft. One of the big storylines, Jalen Waddle likely to play tonight. Huge for Alabama's offense that is already filled with stars. Devonta Smith, John Mechie, Jalen Waddle. There's arguably no better receiving core in football. Mac Jones will have weapons at his disposal tonight. Some players to watch on both sides. On the Alabama side, Devonta Smith, obviously the Heisman winner, is in for a big matchup. He is going to create space. He is going to make plays. The biggest thing is how much will he do tonight. And in a game against Ohio State where they have so many talented options in their secondary, Devonta Smith will definitely have to work. For his production, I expect him to have a big game. But the question is, can Ohio State match the Alabama offensive production? Another player to watch, Mac Jones, the quarterback. You got to keep an eye on any QB in any game. It's just what happens as a football fan. But Mac Jones is definitely going to be 
in for it tonight playing against Ohio State where they have such a talented pass rush. A lot of people are questioning Mac Jones because he's this pocket QB passer that doesn't move around much. And a lot of people question the mobility of him and if he can really play in today's NFL where, you know, the statue-esque QB hasn't succeeded as much. I think Mac Jones is a little bit more than that and therefore will have success. But this is a great night to prove that to his doubters. Another guy, Najee Harris, the running back. He is absolutely dominant. Obviously, this physical force probably gets a few hurdles in it tonight. Probably puts up over 100 yards. Najee Harris, a dominant running back. Keep an eye out for him. And the last player on Alabama's team to watch, Patrick Sertan, the second. This guy has been a stud all season. He's safe. He's dependable. He has been the star corner for Alabama. Going against Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, he's going to have his work cut out for him. But I expect him to prove himself and have a big game tonight. Nick, this Alabama team has been dominant all season. I know you aren't a fan of Alabama, but there's no doubt going to be some great talent that they enter into this draft class. Maybe some future Giants playing tonight. What are you most looking forward to seeing from this Alabama team? Listen, uh, you know, I hate Alabama. My my grandfather did actually play for Alabama a long, long time ago, but you know, it's not a fan of Alabama. I'm not really. I mean, I'm looking to see what happens with Sarkeesian here because uh, every time, as the last number of years has happened, uh, once one of Saban's offensive coordinators, I guess Lane Kiffin or defensive coordinators, get a job as a head coach right before the championship game. It never bodes well for Alabama and the Crimson Tide. So, to me, that's what I'm keeping an eye on. Uh, he is coaching the game, but it's just a lot of uh, mystery and uncertainty there to see what happens. Uh, I won't get my pick yet, but do you think that's going to factor in at all tonight? I think it absolutely factors in, and Alabama's offense has kind of been established for quite some time to where I think they have a very good chance to continue that success, but there's definitely some questions about with Sarkeesian moving on, what's going to happen. And we will see how Alabama's offense steps up to the test on the Ohio state side of things. We got Sean Wade cornerback out of Ohio state kind of struggled in the semifinal game against Clemson. Now coming in against a very talented Alabama receiving core, he's going to draw a tough matchup no matter what. Look for Sean Wade to either really make or break his stock in this class. The obvious one to watch is Justin Fields. After a star performance against Clemson, he now has to come in against Alabama where he will need to show out again to really put any doubters to rest. Even with a great performance, I'm sure there will still be those that hate on him. But this kid has been dominant. He is a great player. I, I say kid, you know, this guy, this man has been dominant because he has just put together great performances week in, week out. Yes, there's been some moments where he's had some struggles, but this player has been phenomenal, and I think he really has a chance to set himself up as a college football legend with a big game. Chris Olave, the wide receiver for Ohio State, back now for this championship game. Huge performance would be huge for his stock. A lot of people talk about him as a second-rounder with fringe first putt potential some guys think he should go mid for a big gaming in South Alabama will really put him on the map and elevate his stock from there and then looking at Baron Browning the linebacker for Ohio State has really put together a much stronger season in regards to his pass rush and his coverage ability he's a great run stopper already offers tremendous athleticism a huge game added to that athletic profile is going to boost his stock tremendously Look for Baron Browning, see what he does. And if he has a great performance, we could see this guy talked about as a day two pick easily. Another matchup in this game is Josh Myers versus Christian Barmore. Barmore has put together one of the best seasons in the second half of the season, really putting together great production in what started out as a little bit of a cold start and caused the stock to fall. Look for Barmore versus Wyatt Davis versus Josh Myers or versus whoever to really kind of prove himself as to whether he is an elite or not. And we got some comments from the comment section, by the way. Thanks for watching. What a weekend. Big Ben took a Peyton-like dive, and Doug Peterson is canned. Maybe a choice to the Jets. We agree here. 
We think he's probably the leading candidate. Elon Hud God said, what's up, Triple D crew? Destination Draft Day. We appreciate you watching out. And, you know, we're doing well here. And then D-Cubed Crew is another nickname that we got. So we got some nicknames going for us. And facts. <laughs> he looked like Peyton yesterday. And the Schefter phone rings. We definitely got some interesting storylines to keep up with. But tonight, for the college football championship, you know, Brian, Ohio State really, I think, surprised America when they beat Clemson in this game. And now, against Alabama, they arguably have a better chance of winning. Who do you have in this game? And what do you want to see out of Justin Fields in terms of you know, production, he's obviously been great, but in terms of college football legacy, what do you think this does for him if he is able to come in and win this championship tonight? Yeah, well, you look at the teams that Alabama has had in Nick Saban's tenure especially, and then you look at this wide receiver crew along with Najee Harris, kind of what you were saying, Michael, that, wow, they may have not even had an offense this strong at any point. And this is with all of the running backs that they've had, with all of the great receivers that they've had, and this might be the most powerful one. And I actually think Mac Jones is the best quarterback of all of them because he's, you know, one of the better better decision maker than Greg McElroy or any other guy that they that they've had. So I mean, Ohio State winning this game, and they're not going to win without Justin Fields having another monster performance. So I mean, if they win, what that does for both Ohio State and for him is huge. And they really have no more pressure on their shoulders. You know, they probably didn't to begin with since they were, you know, more than a touchdown underdog. But at this time. All the pressure really is on Alabama. Every uh, Most people do expect Alabama to win. I expect Alabama to win. They're eight-and-a-half-point favorites. Uh, I would be surprised if Alabama didn't win. But, man, Justin Fields, he's not going to – maybe he doesn't have to throw for six touchdowns again. And um, But he is going to have to be the catalyst. Obviously, without him, they, you know, they don't have a chance. But it would be the most monumental win maybe in the program's history, don't you think? I think I agree with you. So let's get our predictions in. Nick, we'll start out with you. Alabama, Ohio State, who you got taking it tonight? What type of game do you expect, and who do you really expect to be the star of the night? I expect the very long and boring game that ends around 12.30 a.m. unnecessarily. Uh, I'm expecting it not to be pretty. I'm going to say this is going to be maybe one of the worst championships games we've had since we went to the four um low scoring i don't know what the over under is brian but i'm going to say it's going to be a low scoring game here and i'm going to pick ohio state the ohio state to come away as the national champions brian well look you know i hate to uh, throw you guys under the bus but we got a couple of guys saying that clemson was going to win the national championship i'm the only one left out of the d cubed crew to have his champion alive so I'm not going to change my mind now. We're going to go with Alabama. I do think they cover. The total, Nick, to answer your question, is a lofty 74 and a half points. Oh, geez. It's actually uh, – it was actually 76 and a half and is now down. Um, you know, I don't have a bet on that. I'm going to say over because it's fun to – it's fun to root for points. And as Nick so correctly pointed out, this thing is going to be five hours long. And no matter what, with all the commercials and stuff. So you may as well root for points. But I'm going to take Alabama to, to win by win by two scores, between 10 and 14 points. So, Mike, Brian, are you going with the under? No, no, I, I don't. I, I'm, not, I'm definitely not going to bet the under. I mean, it, it's it is too. It does feel too high, but no, I'm not going to bet the under. The way we saw State move the ball on Clemson's defense, uh, no. And this Alabama defense actually can get the ball moved on it a bit. You know, Notre Dame only ended up with 14 points, but a more powerful offense definitely would have had more. Uh, they, they can have the ball moved on them a little bit. So it really all depends on how many explosive plays they are. There are, but in college, the clock stops after every first down there's going to be approximately 700 first downs in this game so uh, i could see it getting the 75 points for sure but i would Ooh. take alabama against the spread damn brian that's uh this and this game's looking in the upper 30s and 40s then that's wild so yeah i think my prediction of 12 30 a.m end time is uh too early 1 a.m yeah, yeah it is it's too early 
in this game, I think I got to go with Ohio State. Looking at how well they played, I I just I can't help but feel like they have all the momentum going in. I understand Alabama has just as much star power. I understand that they have so much talent on this roster, but Justin Fields just put together such a performance that it's hard for me to bet against them right now. We kind of see the momentum of the QB going forward for each one. Mac Jones, obviously a talented QB that put together a great semifinal game as well, but this was a huge win for Ohio State. And I think I have a little bit of Alabama bias that, you know, I just want to see a little bit of change up in the championships. Alabama's won plenty. Ohio State, you know, they have won, but, you know, let's see it again. So I'm going Ohio State, riding with Justin Fields, and I want to see a great game regardless where it's within one possession and there's some intensity no matter what happens. I'm going to say right now, my 2022 national champion, Texas A&M. Mark it down. I think there's a lot of talent on that roster, definitely. We have a comment from the comment section asking, has Barmore played himself into the first round with his play this year up until this point? So this is an interesting question because, you know, he came into this draft as a projected first-round pick, and then he kind of dropped back because this run game wasn't doing well and he wasn't producing as much as you really would have wanted. But now, in the second half of the season, he's put together some great play. So I think he'll find himself in the first round, probably a mid-late first-round guy that is really kind of taken with the idea that, you know, you're getting a guy with so much upside and pass rush ability. The run game for him, though, has got to improve, and we'll see what happens over the course of the offseason with evaluation. Maybe it wasn't as much on him as it was other Alabama defensive linemen, but at the moment, I think he could be a late first-round pick pretty comfortably. For now, though, that's all we got. Nick Durst, Brian Sosa, Michael Rockman, Destination Draft Day. It's a long road, but we'll get you there. For any pro football, college football, or NFL draft talk, we got you covered. Thank you to everyone in the comment section and all the viewers who checked us out today. Also, thank you to Chris Landry Football for letting us use their Twitch channel and really kind of take up this hour of time despite us not knowing what we're talking about. D-Cubed. We'll see you on Friday where we can talk about how wrong we were about this championship. Hopefully we got some coach hires to talk about and we will definitely give you some more playoff coverage. We will see you guys though. Thank you so much and take care.